Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Live from Lafayette, Colorado, for two of us, it is Tripping Over the Barrel. Who are those two? It is myself, Dr. Funkenstein, and Susan Clad, who is sequestered in my basement right now as we launch this podcast. You, you doing okay down there, Susan? I'm doing great. <laughs> we, uh, this is the first one of these that we've done in person, but we actually were in the same room and we were getting tons of feedback. So because of that, I've made Susan stay in the basement, which is like 58 degrees. Um, sorry about that. Uh, but if you start to get hypothermia, let me know and uh, I can I can turn up the heat or something. But uh, really excited to have you on today, Susan Clatt. Uh, we met, geez, over, over 10 years ago um, when you were, I believe at, at Venico and have always really enjoyed your perspective. I think you're a, a natural <laughs> storyteller and, and th- this is one that, that I've been excited to have for a little while. So Tim, had you, had you met Susan when, when she was at Venico and we were at Navigator? No, I, I didn't actually meet her there. I heard the stories. I heard how she, uh, put you in your place when you were trying to show <laughs> the AFE stuff. She said, now I, not really what we want. You're missing this, this, and this. And I see on her LinkedIn profile, she went and did it on her own anyway. <laughs> well, she, I mean, I think the number one thing was she's like, so the problem here is that your product isn't actually based on the internet. I'm like, stop. Shh. That's not. <laughs> yeah, that was back in the days. You have to have a, have to be online to, to do anything. Courses like that now, but back right. then it was just starting. Yeah. To be in your actual office. So, um, Susan, welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel. Like I said, hope you can stay somewhat warm down there. You grew up in Lafayette. Tell me a little bit about growing up in wonderful Lafayette, Colorado. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that was a long time ago. I grew up in Lafayette when there was still literally cows not too far outside of town. (laughs) And uh, I think there's about 5,000 people. My high school graduating class was 139. Whoa, nice. Yeah, to give you a sense of how small it was. So it was nice to grow up in a small town outside of Boulder when we actually wanted to see stuff or do stuff. We went to Boulder. Um, you know, it, the big, you know, biggest day I remember when I was little is when McDonald's moved in. <laughs> On 287. Yep. Yep. That was a grand day. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's this town. So I've lived here for the last seven years and it has changed a lot like so much. I mean, it, there were, there wasn't that much here. I mean, there was a Santiago's burritos, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. But I mean, in the last, I'd say even five or six years, four five, six different breweries. We have a huge cidery up on the Hill. Um, the, the town is completely gentrified and, and changed a lot. I'm sure from when you were here. So when Susan came by, we had coffee recently. She's like, I barely recognize this town. This was a field the last time I was here. How many yes. dispensaries have moved in? Uh, there's like three within a half a mile of my house. Like it's <laughs> no surprise. Um, so, so Susan, so you grew up in Lafayette, you went to Centaurus, right? Yep. Um, where'd you go to college? What'd you study and how'd you get into oil and gas? Well, I went to the university of Denver and got a degree in accounting and uh, pretty quickly realized that I liked computers a lot better than debits and credits and um, went back and got my master's degree in information systems um, 
It started off in pure IT, I'm literally slinging coax through, you know, the, the drop ceilings in an office space to hook up a network and, and um, did some software support and then uh, eventually moved into the call center realm, um, which is all technology driven and uh, did a lot of, you know, business system analysis and worked my way up through the ranks there until I was vice president of IT for that division of a, the insurance company. Hmm. Um, did that for a few years. And, um, you know, I had to travel a lot for, for that job. And one night I was having dinner in St. Louis and wondered what my kid was doing. She was like four or five years old at the time. And I was like, I should really know the answer to this. this there's something fundamentally wrong. Mm. So two, two weeks later, I resigned the vice president position. And um, they kept me on to manage their larger clients because I already had the relationships with them. And then eventually I reached a point where I just really wanted to kind of control my own destiny and went and started my own consulting firm. And Sarbanes-Oxley was first coming out and with my mm -hmm. IT background and security, I got a phone call from somebody saying they had a, you know, a company, small company going public and they had to become compliant with the IT controls. And that company happened to be Venico mm -hmm. that was in oil and gas. And I love the industry and I've stayed in it ever since. So I've been in the oil and gas, gas realm for about 15 years now. And I just, I love it. It's challenging and, and there's always something new to learn. And I do want to thank all of those people that shared all their knowledge with me and had nice. the patience for all my questions. I'm sure a few <laughs> of them were just like, go away, Susan. <laughs> oh, but if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to stay in oil and gas. But um, like I said, it's names, um, names. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the guilty will, will remain nameless. <laughs> so was your whole career just in the Denver area? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Colorado native and have just always been around here. So um, did some travel for, for business, but I've always lived in Colorado. So was it more international travel or did you do mostly uh, domestic U.S. type stuff? I did mostly U.S. Um I, there was one point where I was going to go to Argentina for the, a cell phone deal with the, the call center. And that deal fell through just before we were going to leave. So about as international as I get is is probably Carpinteria out on the West Coast on, <laughs> yeah, the, on the beach. We were, we're, we've talked about that. We're coming to that. Oh, oh, man, so it took six and a half minutes. I almost <laughs> jumped into it right away. So, you know, for the listeners of this podcast, one of the things we like to talk about is, is people's trips to oil cities and some random places they like to eat. And, and oftentimes it's your, your Midlands or your, you know, or Shreveport's, right? Tyler, Artesian. Texas, Artesia, New Mexico. No, not Susan. Susan. High class clat gets to go out <laughs> to Santa Barbara, California, and overlook the Pacific Ocean for her oil and gas gig. It was Tell a nice a way to start. Yeah, it's a great way to get started. It kind of spoiled me for everything else. <laughs> yeah, uh, Carpinteria does not look like uh, Artesia in any way, does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not mid. It's not West Texas, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I've but, got a, I've got a lot of ca uh, clients out in California and I've do this, I have this little trip where I, one of them's in Orcutt, which is just outside of Santa Maria, but 
you know, I've, I always organize my trip to drive from LAX up to PCH through yeah. Santa Barbara just to go th- just to go on that spot that drive through Santa Barbara up into uh, what is Santa Maria mm-hmm. and it's just a, an amazing piece of property to look out over and see well see the plat- oil platforms out in the in the ocean and I'm guessing that most people don't realize what they are and then the little facilities on shore but to actually office there and look out over that scenery that, that's got to oh. be fantastic it, it was. I mean, I, I got spoiled. They had a, you know, a company condo about four blocks from the beach. So every night after work, I'd go walk the beach for a while, you know, go just hit clear your head. <laughs> exactly. You know, just, you know, just enjoy that and go hit a couple of the, you know, the restaurants that I liked. And, and it was, I can truly say it's the only company I've ever been in, in their main conference room, they had a telescope so you could watch the whales go by. Love, love that. Did yeah, you ever get a shot of seeing whales go by? No, unfortunately. I did learn, though, there were a couple offices that I was definitely not as productive in because they did overlook the ocean. I found uh, myself daydreaming probably more than I should admit just because it was so peaceful looking out the, at that view, you know? So nice out there. Yeah, I'd, I'd had some friends. Actually, I was the best man in a wedding mm-hmm. out in Santa Barbara, and they, they call it Boulder by the Beach, and it really, really has that feel Right, which is you know I know carp's a little bit different, but but nonetheless that area is just super idyllic. Um, mm-hmm. I I didn't know too much. I'm sure we talked about this, Susan, but I feel like when we hang out, we're we're normally talking oil and gas stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me some of the differences between the insurance space and the oil and gas space, either from an IT or sort of a fundamental business perspective? Uh, how do they differ? Um. Well, the call center space has been reliant on technology a lot longer than oil and gas has. It's hard to have a call center without a big, you know, phone switch and, and all the screens that the agents use to track their calls and, and, you know, record what's going on. Whereas oil and gas for a long time, it was a lot more manual probably. Um, so that's probably the fundamental difference is that call centers were just a lot more technology savvy. Yeah. Um, and that's what drove that. That's what brought me to that industry to begin with, is I wanted to get into an industry that they were truly reliant on technology. So I had to be careful what I asked for, because in a couple of those call centers, we lost, you know, $10,000 an hour if we were down. Wow. So, you know, that put a little pressure on you to make sure that everything's truly up 24, 7, 365. Yeah, and that finger's going straight to you if something goes wrong. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I you can... said going, you know, you've now been oil and gas for 15 years and moving from, you know, the technology-based call center system to oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And there's been, a, you know, a lot of people have made a lot of comments about, you know, pulling oil and gas into, quote, a modern technology. So mm-hmm. in your 15 years, kind of on the IT side, have we been successful? Do you think, what do you, what, what's your perception on, on that move to digitalization in oil and gas? I think it's, it, it has gained a lot more momentum over the last five years. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, back in the, you know, the day when oil was a hundred dollars a barrel, you didn't have to worry as much about being efficient. Um, but then when the bottom drops out, suddenly every dollar really does make a difference. And oil and gas had to manage themselves like every other industry. 
Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. you when know, margins shrink, you have to do business differently. Exactly. And that's, that's where I, I've really seen it, especially around um, the automation in the field, you know, bringing in more SCADA, bringing in more, even just electronic field tickets, you know, before it was all manual and you, know, you picture this big burly, you know, foreman out there, you know, trying to thumb through his tickets, looking for what accounting is asking for. Um, that is, is I think most of the, the major players or either the players who are serious about doing business right are getting into that, not only for field operations, but also, you know, the more tedious stuff you have to do to support accounting and, you know, making sure that you're paying for what you've gotten and that kind of stuff. But that's, that's where I've seen it. The visualization of data is another big one that yeah. over the last five years has really come along. Um, when I first started, it was everybody's wish and they, you know, Excel was still their favorite visualization tool. Whereas now it, it's, it's come to a lot more maturity, especially in those businesses that are really trying to get there. Yeah, I, t- I know Tim's dying to say something. I, I don't care. I'm going to cut him off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susan, one of the things that I've been hearing about a lot this year and, you know, being a, a sales guy and out and about, I have a pretty good pulse of, of the market and, and the direction things are going. As we hit budget season for next year, I'm noticing some of the same things. You touched on it a little bit around really optimization, efficiency, um, just becoming a, a leaner and um, smarter organization uh, in the field. But the other piece that I hear a ton about is bots, uh, robotic process automation. Um, and, and I'm wondering, is that something that you explored and looked at? Or, or do you feel like the shortcomings are, are beyond that with the systems in place? And, and that's a, more of a band-aid? Well, you've got me with that one, Jeremy. I haven't heard much about the robotics really at all. Um, the most I've heard is people, you know, wanting to use drones to fly over their fields instead of sending people out to every location. Um, yeah, yeah, but no, yeah. I mean, I haven't really heard about, you know, the robotics piece. Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, that's one of the problems with oil and gas that I've always found with the whole digitalization process is, you know, my perception, and I may be wrong, a call center is generally in a set of locations where everyone's kind of contained, the the technology mm-hmm. is contained. With oil and gas, I mean, you've got one well separated on the side of a hill. Uh, so to, to get all that tied in, that's always been the big struggle is how do you, with the minimal investment or trying to keep the investment down, how do you bring all of that into a digital environment and be able to automate and control and, and do those types of things? And so that's where I think it's always been a challenge to try to digitalize the oil and gas space because we're not all on a factory floor. Uh, right. We're not in one mm-hmm. building. It's it's a very spread out uh, type of system. Um, so that's kind of that big challenge of, I think, of, of doing that. And of course, it's also an industry that's what now 150 years old. Uh, so some of these wells in Paducah, Kentucky, or wherever we are, is, are uh, nice. some pretty old wells. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So Susan, your daughter, if I recall, was a, was a good softball player, right? Wasn't that a thing <laughs> you guys would travel all over the place for her softball games? Yeah, you have a good memory. Yes, yes, she was. That's so. funny because, Tim, we talked about this last week. I was a good softball player too, remember? Yeah, you were at, at uh, your <laughs> camp. 
<laughs> no, but so did she end up playing in, in college and, and what was it like? I remember you talking about flying places, touring, you know, really seeing a lot of the country for these tournaments. What, what was that like? Um, actually, it was it was great family time, too. Um, she did end up playing in college. She ended up getting, getting a scholarship um, to play in college. Um, she played three, three or four, four years. The fourth year she had uh, shoulder surgery and mm. decided not to go back. Um, but a side note, she is a volunteer coach for one of the local high, high school teams now. Nice. So trying to give back to the sport in that way. Um, but yeah, you, you haven't lived until you live out of a cooler all weekend. <laughs> Every weekend. Every weekend. Right. That that softball tournament circuit, basketball tournament circle, select basketball, all those things. That is a, that is a tough, a tough circuit to be in. A lot of hotels, Mm -hmm. a lot of moving around. And, you know, especially with softball and baseball, it's all day tournaments. You're just, and you're locked in. It's great family time, but it is brutal moving around the chessboard. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it, it's fun. It was, we always loved watching her play and, you know, her teams play and we still like watching good softball. I guess we're hooked because, you know, when the colleges are playing, we'll watch it on TV just because we know the game so well. Um, But I do remember, you know, a few of her tournaments. One that stands out is when uh, we flew to uh, North Carolina for her to play in a national tournament there outside of Raleigh. Oh, and, nice. um, and just, it, it was an international tournament. There was, you know, from everywhere and it was, it's always interesting to, to see where all the teams come from and, and their, how they play the game. I mean, there are different strategies and yeah. how they play. So she's, she made a lot of friends. We all made a lot of friends. Um, we joke about the, you know, the, the drama around softball and everybody thinks it's, it's just the girls and trust me, the parents can be just as dramatic as the players. More. more <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do appreciate that with my parents. They always came to my sporting events and they were, and they were quiet. Yeah. I remember sometimes to <laughs> be like, dad, come on, yell at the ref. He's like, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like a rite of passage. You have to be abusive toward the referee who's making $25 a game. Right, right exactly. And they're probably 16. <laughs> so Susan, on your, you, you, you made the transition. You said you, you kind of started your own consulting company. Um, you know, Jeremy and I are clearly both in sales. I mean, that's, that's how we met you kind of to mm-hmm. begin with. Have, how much have you had to kind of do your own selling or is it just kind of word of mouth or how do you go out and sell your consulting or get into these consulting gigs? I've been fortunate that, that usually when, you know, I'm starting to look for a new gig, my phone rings and it's just somebody who's knows me or has heard of me and said, Hey, we're starting this project. Are you interested? Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't really feel like like a sales pitch per se. When I get on those phone calls with people who call or I may just, you know, start up a conversation, it's really just a conversation with them and helping them articulate what they're trying to accomplish. Love that. And, you know, a lot of times they just get a sense. It's like, this just isn't working right, but they don't know how to describe it. They don't know how to approach it. Um, so just helping them kind of put their arms around it you know, what the work effort might look like, you know, who they might want to, you know, talk to 
I'm usually the one that's like, well, why don't you look at these three different software companies? Let's have them come in and you can kind of decide, you know, if it's worth what they want to do and how the fit looks. Um, but, you know, really what I bring is, you know, they, they're making a huge investment in whatever technology they're putting in. And I can bring their business side with the technology side and talk both of those languages and help them get through that and kind of protect their investment, make sure they get to where they need to, to get that return that they're looking for and actually solve their problems. And that's, it's really, it's just those conversations and listening to what they need. So I I think that's very important. And for any of our listeners who are not in oil and gas, it won't seem as big of a deal. But believe me, there's two different types of people. Mm -hmm. There's technology people, and then there's operations people, and they're very different. There's usually not a lot of crossover. And one of the things that Susan has done so well and why she brings so much value to a variety of organizations is she can cross that bridge fairly easily. The, The challenge today is not necessarily just tech. It's, it's also people, process, mm-hmm. uh, comfort, right? Uh, controlled mm-hmm. change management, evolution of, of your staff into a, a technology savvy organization. And, and that is hard to do, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. going to say that in their 10K and everyone's going to say that in their investor calls. But truth be told, it, it takes people to be able to make those changes. And, and I still see that Susan as, as mm-hmm. the biggest challenge because I think more tech tech's getting better in oil and gas, more tech will be adopted, right? It, it's going to, there's going to be more confusion because products will overlap more, right? Yes. How, how do we vet out these solutions and find the best of breed? And then more importantly, how do you create that change management that you've been able to do in some of these oil and gas companies? Um, communication really is, is the biggest change is scary. It, it, no matter what's changing, we as humans like routine and our, our habits. And as mm. soon as those start getting touched or pushed, just naturally, most people are going to push back because it's scary and unknown. Mm. So what I try to do is, is get people involved from the very beginning and start trying to address Number one, what are their pain points? Because people will adopt new ways of doing things if they can see it's going to, you know, make things easier for them. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, keeping that communication open and and getting them involved, you know, have them design that solution as much as possible. There's always going to be a few that just don't want to make that change, you know. And, and unfortunately, it's usually guys out in the field. Yeah. Um, and honestly. With moving towards technology, you know, there is more data entry. You know, corporate wants all this data and the guys in the field were hired to operate a well, not to enter data. That's right. You know, it's like they're not our data jockeys, guys. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. It's hard great, to convince them. It's hard to convince them to put data in when they're not going to get value out of that data going in. If they're going to use mm-hmm. it, I, they're probably okay with it. But getting the, the value back at their level, they, I guess they see how it rolls up to the corporation. It makes it hard for them mm-hmm. to buy in if they're just putting data in and it goes away and they never see it again. Well, that's exactly true. So one of the, the applications or one of the changes I helped a client make was to put, you know, field data capture out there, you know, the, you know, the collecting of production volumes and, and all of that every day. Um, and they said exactly that. I don't know this, how this helps me. 
So what we did is that we also added feedback for them. So instead of just them entering their data every day, we also gave them their trending graphs so they could see what that well had been doing over time. And that's, that's where they saw the value. It's like, oh, I didn't realize this well was losing, you know, 5% of its volume over the last, you know, four weeks because it was such a small trend each day. Um, so when they started seeing those types of results, we got a lot more buy-in. Um, the other thing we really work towards is reducing how much, you know, manual entry that has to be done. Um, and again, trying to get, you know, corporate to understand that, you know, these guys are out in the middle of a field with who knows what the weather is. They're not sitting at an air-conditioned desk. Um, yep. And their right. hands are probably big and greasy. And, you know, it's they're not always going to hit the right key at the right time. So let's reduce what they have to do so we can get that better data and get the value that they want. So – one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Susan, is, is data silos, because you've seen this in oil and gas. And, mm-hmm. and, and this, to me, is a, a major challenge. But how, how have you helped break down the walls? Because organizationally, what oil and gas companies have done is the engineers have their product, they do forecasting in, and they selected whatever best of breed solution it was for them. Mm-hmm. And the field data capture guys capture data in their product, and the accounting team has their preference, and land has their preference. And it's very hard for these data systems to talk, but to effectively run your business, you need all of that data to be normalized. Uh, but again, to go back to the change management piece, how do you get people comfortable with, no, this is my data. This is the value I bring to the company as opposed to this is the value our company actually has is this data. Sometimes there's too much of a sense of ownership on data when, and I mm. see it with engineering, that it's their data and they don't want to share it. This is mine. Definitely. Someone's going to mess it up, you know. Definitely. Um, so that's the first thing is just, you know, to say we're going to share this and no one's going to change your data. Um, unfortunately, the other thing in, on my more skeptical days is that I wonder, you know, why do you not want to share this data? Is it going to show us something that maybe you really don't want mm. people to understand? Because sometimes the magic in somebody's job is because no one else understands what they're doing. And when they start sharing that, then other people can start asking more questions, which, again, can feel threatening. Um, yeah. So that's that's part of it. Um, again, it, it, one of the things I try to do in these situations is, is try to work a lot more, get a lot more collaboration between all those groups. You know, it's sometimes the biggest challenge is to get each of those different users, you know, type people, whatever, into a conference room and get them to talk together. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, what happens is one group will say, I didn't know you had that data. That's awesome. I could really use this, you know, or another one will be like, I didn't know. I knew I was doing this all the time. I'm so glad to hear you're actually using it. And they end <laughs> up, you know, it's like, great. Um, or even better, they'll, they'll find situations where they had been collecting the same data all, in, you know, over and over and no one could figure out how it was being used and it was just basically a waste of time in, in collecting mm. it. And so that frees up time and they, they gain more mutual respect that way. Um, it, takes, it takes a lot of time to get, get everybody kind of on that same page and realize that we're all in this together and we're trying to solve a business issue or we're all just, we're trying to get product out of the ground in the end. We're trying yep. to get it out of the ground and get it sold. So how do we work together to make that happen? And once they get to that point, a lot of the times they can, you know, 
work together and, and start thinking a little bit more broadly than, than they had in the past. In my, my experience working with between IT and engineers, and I am a reservoir engineer by background, one of the problems I always see is the engineers articulate a solution that they're looking for. And maybe it's because data is siloed and IT goes in and does their assessment and says, yeah, we can solve that problem. And when the product solution comes back, there's a mismatch. Okay. Yeah. That's not what we asked for. No, that, that is kind of what you asked for. And there's a, you know, this mismatch in language and what everyone's looking Mm -hmm. for. Have you, I mean, have you seen that and how do you overcome that uh, from, from your perspective on these projects? When we're working in something that's brand new, like especially if the engineers have a new thing they're trying to get to and we're trying to educate other people on um, what we're delivering, I like to do a lot of prototyping and actually, you know, develop something as a, as a straw man, say, is this close? And, and keep mm. bringing that back to the engineers or whoever has those ideas um, so once they can start seeing it, because that's the biggest thing is it's as – I hate yeah. to say it, a picture is worth a thousand words. Solutioning. That's what, that's what we call it. And, and right. typically Susan, like if there's a, if there's a gap in say a W energy software application and, and the client can't come around on, this is where it's going to go. They have to visualize it. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the, the value in being able to see it, even if it's hand drawn or in Excel uh, can help people <laughs> big time. Yes, exactly. You are, you're right there, Jeremy. That's exactly right. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say something, Tim. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was, was going to jump in. I'm going I'm to go on. Oh, I will. I'm going to go Fine. to my one of my favorite topics. And I don't know if we've put, put those questions to bed, Jeremy, but all right, I've, I've done thousands of demos, uh, we, and some of them have been spectacularly horrible. Um, <laughs> if, if you've listened to our podcast, you'll pick up on a couple of those. Um, some have gone, you know, pretty well. Uh, I'm guessing, Susan, based on what I've heard from you in this this uh, session, you've seen your share of horrible demos from guys like us in the past. <laughs> what what stands out is kind of, well, if you could articulate one or two of those, especially if they're fun. Um, but also what stands out is, uh, you know, what do you want in your position as a demo from guys like Jeremy and I? I want you to listen, especially, <laughs> I want you to listen. How's that? That's a start. Yeah, shut up and listen. Yeah. Um, especially when it's a situation, because I know you don't always have the benefit of someone like me already working with your prospect. Yeah. Um, and having, you know, work through some of those initial requirements, or like I said, helping them articulate what they're looking for. But when it's teed up like that, just show them what I ask you to show them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about your features. Just show me what I want you to show me. Well, you know, and it's just, just because we're trying to build that, that first level of trust. Yeah. And if the, the client doesn't see the immediate, this is what we're trying to answer, then we lose them. I mean, atten- as you know, attention spans are short. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that I've done, and I know you guys hate it when I've done this to, I'm not sure if I've done it to you personally, Jeremy, but I know I've done if, it to a few you of your be colleagues. On this, whatever it is, you wouldn't be on this podcast <laughs> if you had done it. I'm just kidding. Um, is that I know 
and I know I've done this where I have specifically said, I know the typical demo is show us a few slides about how awesome your company is and everybody you work with in this. And quite honestly, what, especially myself, if it's something brand new, I want to see the product first. Because if the product isn't really there, then everything else is mute. It doesn't really make a difference. So I don't, you know, I don't care if, you know, there's rainbows and unicorns and everything where it was developed, but. Or where if it our offices are, how many employees and right. all of that. Yeah. I mean, if the solution isn't really there, then, you know, let's just save everybody's time. So, and I know I've thrown off but I, a few and I, I feel bad now, probably not then where I've thrown off kind of their cadence of what they're used to doing by changing it around on them and saying, no, I want to see your product first. And if we like it, then you can tell me about your, yourself. <laughs> you know, like Peter, you know? Peter Cohan, I think said something like that in his demo. And it's sort of like what every salesperson does is they come in and they say, you know, we're here. And, you know, remember this, this time is for you guys and ask as many questions as you want. But what we're really saying is we actually have an agenda here and don't throw us off. <laughs> <laughs> So true. <laughs> hold, your question, hold all your questions for the last two minutes. Exactly. Remember I just said I lied about. So don't don't uh, ask me any. Don't throw us off, please. My demo guy will get mad and he'll yell at me. So well, it's funny, Susan. So this guy Peter, his whole shtick is basically a lesson he learned from that very scenario you just described, which is he was buying software and. No, they did not do, they did discovery, but referred nothing to the discovery, referred nothing to the ball on the tee and just went and did their standard demo and made a couple of words here and there. And that's what frustrated him to start a whole business on giving demos. Of course, now we're Mm -hmm. plugging Peter Cohan. I don't know why we're doing that. Because that, because there was a lot of stuff that he talked about that that was applicable to Susan, because she sat through so many of these damn failed demos. <laughs> um, but no, there was one Susan. I think we talked about this the other day, and I'll I'll, I'll end this here shortly. Uh-huh. Was was that you? You said somebody was presenting fakeware. Picture, yes, yes fakeware. T- tell tell Faker us that story. Um, it wasn't in oil and gas. It was in my call center days, and. Um, it was, you know, kind of relatively new what we we're trying to get to, but this company came in and they were telling us, yeah, we can do all this. And they typically started their demo with slides about who they are and how awesome they are. And, mm-hmm. and we can solve world hunger and I mean, everything like that. And um, finally they started doing their quote unquote demo and they got about three minutes into it. And it was really apparent what they were actually showing us were screenshots mm-hmm. of their application and trying to show, think, have everybody think it was their live application. <laughs> so they're, like, they're clicking on the slides like they're clicking on the buttons to make it move? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then man. it would just flip to the next screen. So me being the way I am, and Jeremy isn't surprised by this, I'm sure, um, asked them, it was like, you know, that's a really great screen. Can you change the date right there so we can see how the aging report changes? <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> and that's where the, brutal. That's and what the they had to fess it up. <laughs> yeah, and the spam ring begins. Well, yeah. so actually we, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, but no, I mean, you, you have to, Susan, because that's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's disingenuous because companies will buy 
that. And what they think they're buying is, is not a product. It's an idea, right? Yes. And execution is the, is the hard part. Yes. So one of the things that, that crossed my mind, there, there's an old joke out there that shows, you know, the, this guy showing their software, you know, the, and the angels are singing, life is grand. And then in the next, you know, clip, it shows this user sitting at the computer with this surprise and totally distraught look on their face. And there's flames all around them. And it comes up and it says, oh, you must have seen the demo. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so. I want that. I want a visual of that. That's not how the sales guy did it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dang it. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming by. You know, we're like 30 something minutes in, so you, you're probably um, dealing with frostbite, but you know, <laughs> so it goes in the, in the funk studio, I suppose. But no, seriously, thank you for coming on. And uh, this was a blast. Oh, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun and I'm glad you guys are doing this. This is great. Thanks again. Thank thanks, you. Susan.